these next few moments. Speak, Lord, for we are your servants and we are ready to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. It's one thing to make it a practice of coming into the house of the Lord and just doing it out of practice and obligation. That's one thing. But what we desire is for him to truly meet us here each week on his schedule, on his agenda, and on his timing. I am so grateful for a house and a body because it's not just about the leaders or the head. It's about a body that is willing to be shifted by God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so last week we started a new series called Breakthrough. Just a little mini series. We talked about um, evaluation and kind of evaluating where we are and getting ready for um, this season of breakthrough and this fast that we'll be entering into. Then we talked about stabilization and the discipline um, that it takes and the correct uh, habits of mind and correct posture that it takes to really get ready for that breakthrough. And then we talked about um, this idea of preparation, preparation for treatment or the journey that is ahead. And so today I'm going to end that mini series <laughs> um, with a message entitled The Art of Strategy. Okay. And we mentioned last week um, this concept of breakthrough and it really being a war term or a war tactic. And when we look at armies and the way that they fight and two different bodies opposing each other, um, they usually were fighting in lines. And um, even though you may not have been in the army before, who has ever played um, Red Rover? Y'all played Red Rover? Okay, all right. So you got Red Rover, Red Rover, Sin, you know, whoever, right over. And for me, um, I never just haphazardly chose where I was going to break through on the other side. I always looked for the person who looked the weakest. So it didn't matter if it was because they were shorter than me, um, you know, maybe they looked a little frail, maybe they were smaller than me, whatever it is, I had a strategy in my mind that I was going to go for the weakest link. And in that moment when it was my time to run across, I made a decision that this right here, I was gonna give it all I had. Because when you're playing Red Rover, you can't just like, you can't tiptoe across and be like, excuse me, can I get through? Like, excuse me, devil, take your hand off my kids, please, if you would. You can't be like, oh, excuse me, please, you know, can you please scoot over and get off my finances, please? I'd appreciate it if you get off my neck and, oh, uh, devil, please stop tormenting me, me and my dreams. I, if I ask you, please, no. You took everything you had in that moment and you gave it what you had. This is the same concept of breakthrough in a war. And so when you have the two lines, and usually there is some type of thinking, some type of strategy uh, where you literally are making a conscious decision about where to break through. The thing is, the timing is key of breakthrough. 
Because if you break through, but you do not allow for everything behind you to come through at the same time, then your enemy has a chance to regroup. And if they regroup, it is possible that they will come back stronger than the link that you were able to break through. And so you have to actually not only send a force to break through, but you have to be prepared for the entire army to go behind you in order to cross that line. And your chances are very, very small. There's a very small window there because you have the art of surprise on either side where the breach has been formed. And so what we're talking about here is the art of strategy and this idea that everything we do regarding this has to be in intentional. When um, we look at uh, war, most people um, don't take it as a light thing. Um, but when we look at our Christianity, um, we tend to take it a little bit lighter. Um, we feel that we have time um, that we actually don't have. We feel like the enemy is further back than he actually is. <laughs> We feel that he's playing more than he actually is, but he's not playing. And so our resolve has to be that this is not a game. This is not a drill. This is real life. And lives are on the line. And to make it more personal, your life is on the line. If you are asleep on the front line, it is more likely that you will be part of that weak link and breach. Um, I'm going to be talking about the story of the Israelites. If you would turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to start reading at verse 1. There are several different fasts that we see modeled in the Bible. So you have people who were on individual fasts, and then you have people who did corporate fasts or fasting as a people or fasting as a body. So the story that we're going to read today is about a group of people who were fasting as a body. They did not decide to just fast, but they were fasting at a critical moment in their um, life and in the life of their people or that group where they were a part of. Um, Second Chronicles 20, if you start reading at verse 1, it says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea. And it is already in Hazazon, Tamar, alarmed Josephat, so they're telling him where they were, and then he was alarmed, and so Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And so the people of Judah, they came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? 
They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. So this is his declaration. Uh, verse 10, he says, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sir." whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. So he's going through this list. So they're at a critical time for their people. So he steps out, he declares that we're going to all come together. People of Judah, we're going to fast. Then he starts to talk about the history and so the history that he's giving you here is the past victories and the past times where they have um, submitted to God, where they were aligned, and then sometimes where they were not aligned. And so he's bringing it back to the remembrance of God, the times by which they had followed him and his direction. And so he's almost doing this thing of calling him to the carpet. And so what they're doing is bringing this to the forefront. And so then he says, see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. For many of us, we've stopped right there where that point where it's like we do not know what to do and there's no but. But how many of you know that every time you get to your wits end and actually humble yourself, if you place your eyes on God, there will always be an immediate strategy on how to respond to the things that are coming after you. And so immediately he says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. This is called a corporate body. It was everybody together. And verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord came to Jehaziel, son of Zechariah and the son of Beniah, the son of Jael and the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descended, uh, and descended of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. This is strategy. They will be climbing up the pass of Zeb, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. We are entering into a time of corporate fasting. It's extremely important that before we entered into this season that we took the time to actually teach and learn about what we are doing. This idea of, well, really anything, anything that's implemented in any church that you ever go to, if you cannot find it in the Bible, it is optional. 
I'm not saying that you shouldn't, that you shouldn't submit, but I'm saying it's a choice. Okay? Now, if it cannot be patterned after the Bible, then you really need to kind of look at the motives and what's happening there. And so for us, we realize that people were becoming um, participants of this corporate fast only because we said so. But they had no biblical pattern or paradigm for it. And this is why we're highlighting in the Bible what in the world we are doing. This is a corporate fast. This is a corporate fast that was called here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where the people of, um, of Israel, they were gathered together as a corporate body, and a fast was called for a reason. And the reason was they were at a loss for what to do. They were at a critical time where they could have victory or they could have demise. And so fasting made the difference in whether they would have victory or whether they would have demise. And so we as a body as a church body are in a critical time where we can either have victory in 2019 or we can have demise. But it requires that everybody get on the same page. Corporate fasting is a biblical practice. So the first reason why we are corporate fasting is because it is biblical. When we look in, uh, in uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, when we look at Matthew chapter 6, it does not say if you fast. It says, when you fast. The expectation is that you will be fasting. If you're not fasting now, that you will be fasting. The idea is that this is a regular part of your Christian life and your Christian walk. For as long as there will be battles, there will be a people that fast. For as long as there will be victory, there will be a people that fast. And for long as you want to keep fighting and losing, there will be a people who do not humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and follow the strategy that he has given us. You don't know what to do? Fast. It, it shouldn't even be a question. Um, but a lot of times we get in these spaces where we're like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, fast. Because if you fast, then you are following the biblical pattern of what you are supposed to do. Okay? And so the next thing is that it creates community. Satan comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Part of that stealing, part of that killing, part of that destroying is division. Anytime you find a body that endeavors to be after God's heart and after God's plan, and you find division in the midst, it is Satan. It is satanic activity. It is people being used by Satan. It is people submitting to Satan. Any anytime you find division, confusion, disagreement, offense, all of those are of the devil. Anytime you find yourself in the midst of the corporate body and you are a part of any of that mess, you are being used by Satan. Every time you repeat a rumor, Satan's mouth. Every time you let offense fester in your heart, you go into the place of prayer and it doesn't go away, Satan. You are being used by the devil. He is now your father and your guide. And you are on assignment by hell to separate the bride of Christ. And I know sometimes we want to make it about other people. We do. We make it about other people. Well, he said this, she said that. It doesn't matter. 
Because once you go and you posture yourself under the mighty hand of God, none of that stuff matters anymore. It doesn't matter what anybody said. It doesn't matter what anybody did. Just try it. I promise you, if you actually go into his presence, I'm not talking about religious praying. I'm not talking about religious reading your Bible. But if you actually submit under the mighty hand of God, there's no way that you can get up off your knees in his actual presence and still be full of offense, hatred, hurt, pain. Why? Because it doesn't exist in his presence. It literally doesn't exist in his presence. And so either you're walking with hell or you're walking with him. Because you can't walk with him and hell in the same sentence. You have to divorce hell in order to marry him. But we are trying to be married to both spheres. It creates community. The body of Christ, by nature of us being a group of people put together, there will always be disruption. What you do with the disruption is what really makes us the body of Christ. Corporate fasting allows for us all to be on one accord, on the same page, in unity, going after the same thing. When you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we have a scripture and it talks about unity and us being like-minded people, a like-minded people on the same page, same purpose, same plan, same endeavor. This is a result of corporate fasting. This is a result of us all focusing on the same thing at the same time. If we are one straight line and the end of the line is looking that way and we're and somebody in the middle is looking this way and somebody's looking behind them and somebody's looking that way and then we all start to move, you never naturally are going to gravitate to whatever your eyes are on. So it doesn't matter if you're trying to drive straight. If you are looking on your cell phone and texting, you are probably going to veer to the right or you're going to veer to the left. Why? Because what your eyes are on is what you're going to be pulled to. Corporate fasting allows our eyes to be on the same thing. When you think about fasting, fasting is, in its most simplest terms, restraining, refraining from food. Okay, And so when you think about um, in, in Mark, when he says these kind come out um, by fasting, he's not talking about fasting from social media. He's just not. That's, cause that's not what he's talking about. And so if you actually look in Mark where he says these kind come out by fasting, he is talking about turning over your plate turning over food. He is not talking about fasting from being on the phone or fasting from your favorite television show or fasting from going to the donkey races. That's not what he's talking about. He is saying that these kind, in order for you to have this kind of power, you have to not eat. You have to kill your flesh and realize the power and authority that I have given you. And I have to say that because some people are like, yes, I'm on the corporate fast. I'm going to do the corporate fast too. And, you know, I I love TV and I'm not going to be watching TV. That's not the corporate fast we're doing. You can additionally take off whatever you want to take off. And I'll kind of get to that when we talk about the calendar. You can additionally. That means on a day where we're eating fruits and vegetables, you can bring it down to just vegetables. You cannot mix and match per your own schedule. 
The Monday menu worked better for me, so I'm a, why? Because then our eyes are on different things. And so the calendar is our guideline. What's our pattern for that? Well, because in the scripture, the leader being led by God is the one who gave the mandate. Because that leader is being led by God. If your leader is only led by God when you're in agreement with it, then you're not really submitted to that leader. If your leader is always off when it comes to correcting you, then you're not submitted to that leader. If you only want to hear prophecies from your leader that you want to hear, then you are not submitted to that leader. Fasting demonstrates the depth of your desire. How hungry are you? And when you ask yourself that, your response through your actions will demonstrate the depth of your desire. Some of us, our desire has been so shallow, the only thing we're willing to give up is social media. The only thing we're willing to give up is something that doesn't cost us anything. But it means that you are serious about your prayer, you're serious about your desire when you are willing to fast. When we look in Romans 8, um, verses 1 through 2, um, it talks about not letting fasting become a source of guilt. Anything that brings you condemnation is not of God. So if you find yourself in this place where you are feeling condemned, you're on this corporate fast, I'm not telling you to jump ship, but I am telling you to evaluate your time with God because it should not be a source of condemnation. You fall, something happens, you forgot, whatever the case is, should not be a source of condemnation. You should feel empowered in this time to get back on, to get back in line with the rest of your crew, with the rest of the army, and kind of just jump back in there. And so if you find that you've, uh, you're overwhelmed with condemnation and what you can't do and everything like that, that means that's something that God wants to do in you where you are infused with his grace and revelation of his grace at that time. And so that's what you need to begin to lean in on, okay? So this, is, this should not be about condemnation. It should not be about guilt, okay? Anytime they do an um, open enrollment and enlisting in the army, there's a such thing as it being your time. And a lot of times, it's just not your time to be enlisted in the army. And I'm not saying don't do anything. You have to prepare yourself so that the next time it comes around that it is your time. Now, some people are like, wait a minute, are you excusing us from it? Absolutely, if you can't posture yourself correctly. I would not dare, as a leader, irresponsibly put you on the front line. You will be devoured and killed. But I will say this. When it's time to do the victory dance, you're still on the sidelines. That's the way it works. So if you don't want to go to war, don't join us for the victory feast. Don't join us for the victory dance. And when it's time for the spoils to be passed out, have a seat. Because see, that's the difference. People want to sit on the sidelines during the battle. I'm not ready, 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 I'm not ready. But then when it's time for community, when it's time for feeling like uh, you're getting what you needed from the body, then you complain because you don't get what you needed from the body. So those who fight with the body reap from the body. 
Warfare takes place on multiple levels. There's physical warfare, there's psychological warfare, and there's analytical warfare, okay? So there are going to be different levels of the war to which you are going to be fighting. In order to see real breakthrough, you have to fight on all three levels. So in the physical, you can go to the grocery store, you can follow the diet, you can follow it to a, to a T, and you will not receive breakthrough if you're not willing to fight the battle in your mind. So that means as you are tormented in your mind, you cannot skip that part of the battle. That means that you have to begin to rehearse scripture and actually fight in your mind. I don't care if you have to write this stuff down. For every attack, everything that Satan says to you, you need a rebuttal. Okay? And so he is going to try to wear you out. Let me tell you when it's going to happen. It's going to be when you're alone. It's going to be when you get really, really hungry. It's going to be at the times where you begin to see yourself and different things about yourself that you want to retreat. You may even at this time start to see things about your leaders or the body or people that are around you. And so the enemy is going to try it. He is going to shoot his shot. He is going to red rover, red rover you because the battle in your mind will make you look like a weak link and so your response when he red rovers you is you have to actually have a scriptural rebuttal that you come back to him and fight with if you do not fight that battle you will not see breakthrough you may lose some pounds but you won't see breakthrough the third level is that analytic level you have to fight with strategy so you're going you're gonna to fight within the physical, and mostly, you know, people are like, I mean, models fast. So it's like not even, you know, it's not, it's not that complicated. It's going to take some discipline, but if you leave it only at that level, you'll pretty much get the output of a model. So you'll look better. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. But you won't actually receive breakthrough. So the other part is finding strategy, getting strategy. He wants to rework the way that you're approaching life. He wants you to rethink the way that you're going after purpose. He wants you to rethink your placement in it. It is an analytic battle. When we think about this, um, strategy allows for a pre-planned attack to win on all three of those fronts. We talked about last week, you cannot earn a blessing, you cannot earn a breakthrough, you cannot earn an answered prayer, however, you can make room for one. And even though you can't earn it, you still have to do the work of making room for it. If you're full of yourself, you don't have room for a blessing. If you're full of your own strategy, you don't have room for breakthrough. If you're full of praying prayers that are your heart's desire, you don't have room for answered prayers by God because you're busy filling up that space and time with everything that you want and everything that you desire. There's a such thing called uh, maneuver warfare. And it literally means warfare that makes something else move. It's strategic warfare. There are five common ways to approach maneuver warfare. This is highly associated with breaking through the enemy's lines. There comes a certain time in a believer's life 
where they decide that they don't want to play games anymore. That means you're in a posture for breakthrough. There comes a certain time with you're in an army where you're like, I'm sick of being out here. I'm ready to go back to my family. I'm ready to see the promised land. I'm here to actually achieve what I was going to do. We went on um, vacation, well, vacation, work, vacation. I don't know what it was. Last week. It was like a little mix. When you get started, super excited, packing your bags, got your passport, you out there, you in there, you're like, hey, come on now, you know. And we went to Mexico, so as soon as we got off the, um, <clears throat> off the plane, had a little tray of drinks, you know, they had everything. We were like, oh, no, thank you, I'm safe. Woo. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you're really excited in the beginning. By the middle, you're kind of like, okay, well, this is cool. But I make sure I get everything done, because at this point, I'm kind of ready to go home. Our complacency in the body of Christ has caused us battles. It's caused us to lose because we've been too complacent being in war. You're so used to having battles that victory is a foreign concept for you. But you have to get so full of disdain for the place that you're in where you decide, I'm ready for a win. The first one of the components of maneuver warfare is targeting critical vulnerabilities. So the, the army literally sits down and they start to target vulnerable places of the enemy. So if we look at our enemy, which has nothing to do with people, has nothing to do with another church, nothing to do with anything like that, definitely it's not our city or our city officials, any like that, but the strongholds that are coming against the body of Christ at large and the strongholds that are coming against our city are our critical enemies and critical vulnerabilities. Here's the thing about the enemy. His power is limited because the things that he knows only have to do with what has been shared with him. And so if you put yourself in this critical place where you find heaven's strategy and you get this right now word from God and strategy, that is not something that has been shared with the enemy. And so you're beginning to target his critical vulnerabilities. Why? Because he doesn't know what God is doing right now. And because he doesn't know what God is doing right now, you're able to wiggle yourself through because you get a current strategy from heaven for what's happening. But the problem is we've been fighting with the same information that the devil already has when we look at verse 2 of second chronicles chapter 20 the people began to report on the status of the army coming against them and so they go and they tell jehoshaphat this is where they are this is where they're located this is how close they are to us this is what's coming over uh, the mountain this is where um this is where they may break through this is what's happening and so you have to get a status report on your enemy this means that you have to know what is coming after you personally you have to know what is coming after our church as a body you have to know what is coming against your family you have to know what is coming against your city so that you can target critical vulnerabilities and if you cannot target the generational curses that have tried to uh, rack your family line then you will not be ready for maneuver warfare you have to know what those thin points are the thing I find interesting is when people become so um, disgruntled with the church and they are five common things that people say from church to church. 
So why is it that we allow it to still be the story of the church? Do you not see what the enemy is doing? It's not a new story. It's not a new fight. It's not a new thing that he's trying to do. We did a survey and outreach one time, and we asked different people um, why they don't go to church. And the number one thing that they said is because uh, Christians are hypocrites. Are you kidding me? Okay, so the enemy's agenda is public? So his agenda is public, and you still just do what he wants? So if his goal is to make the church look like a bunch of hypocrites, you can target the critical vulnerability. All you have to do is live an upright life withstanding and in alignment with God has and what he's saying and what he's doing and you shoot that one off. They can't fight with that no more. Why? Because as a body, we've targeted that as a critical vulnerability. Church people are messy. That's the other one. Really common one. Church people are messy. So, so he's telling you what he's doing. He literally is sending you the blueprints for the weapon that he's forming against the church. You have the agenda. So now you can continue to be messy or you cannot be messy. And then you rip his gender to shreds. But instead, we hear people declaring the agenda of the enemy against the church. We get moved by the agenda and then enlist in his army against the church. So how does the enemy show you his agenda and then you jump ship to fight on the other side? Every time you retell a bad report against his church, you're fighting on the other side. And I'm not talking about lying. And I'm not talking about ignoring it. I'm talking about change it. Be and do something different. This is why we corporately fast. Do you know what's coming against the body of Christ? Do you know what's coming against your family? Do you know what's coming against your city? Three Google searches and you'll find out. Survey three of the oldest people in your family. 20 minutes, you'll find out. And then once you target that as a critical vulnerability, that's what you go after. It is critical that we identify what's coming against us as a people and then not back down. Number two is boldness. So we're talking about the five components of maneuver warfare. The first one is target critical vulnerabilities. The second one is boldness. In verse three and four, Jehoshaphat learns of this information. And right away, he's like, let's fast. We're going on a fast. So he didn't say, oh my God, the church is falling apart. What are we gonna do? No, let's fast. That's what we're gonna do. Because that will put us on the same page that will make us stronger, that will clear out these things that are in front of us, and it will give us strategy. He didn't know what to do. His response was to fast. That is strategy. So he suddenly declares a fast. 
One key to battlefield success is having the daringness to seek breakthrough results rather than incremental ones. What does that mean? If you have been happy with slow progress to the things that God has for you now, then you are working against his mighty hand. If he has it for you now, then you need to take hold of it now. If he has it for you now, then you need it now. I'm not happy with people leaking into the church. I'm not happy with people getting saved here and there. That is not what God has called us to. This is not what God has called us to. I'm not happy with 14,000 square feet. Why? Because he called me to a block. I'm not happy with what he gave me. Why? Because he called me to something else. And there is a contentment that begins to arise in the church with these incremental victories but it is so far from what he has called us to but you have to become unhappy uncontent you have to make sure that you are not comfortable as long as you are outside of what God has called you to he hasn't called you to be the savior of your family He's called himself to be their savior and for them all to come into him and all to come into the kingdom. He hasn't called you to get rid of the one sin that's after you. He's called you to live a life full of holiness and righteousness and be upright and withstanding in the kingdom of God. But you have to boldly take it. You have to boldly declare it. And you have to put yourself out there in your level of trust in God. Sometimes we settle for less than because we simply don't trust him to do it all. And if you don't trust him to do it all, you're happy with little incremental victories. But he was bold. He called everybody. He said, come on, everybody, 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 everybody. This is what we're going. This is the strategy. And he was loud about it. And it's not about being bold and saying that you're fasting. It's about being bold and declaring the victory that you're expecting. It's about being bold in the victory that you're expecting. No, we've already read. They told us, don't be going around here with ashy lips and stinky breath. We've already declared that. And he was like, stop it. Don't be posting how hungry you are so people can pat you on the back. No. But be bold in declaring what God is going to do. Step out there and declare so that your faith arises and the faith of the people around you begins to arise because you have boldly declared what God has for you and for the body of Christ. God's plan for the church is not done. God's plan for the church has not yet been fulfilled. He has a plan for us and he's called us to fast. When we look um, at the Israelites in Nehemiah, they were called to another fast. And the fast that they were called to in Nehemiah chapter 9, I won't read it for the sake of time. Um, the fast that they had called was after a big feast. So it was after a celebration. And I thought about this fast because it reminds me of where we are as a body. So we just celebrated one year as all nations. We just celebrated nine years of pastoring. And we have this tendency after a celebration or after a feast to rest because we're tired. We're tired from celebrating. We're tired from the feast. We're tired from the party. We're tired from the festival. But these people here, when you look at Nehemiah chapter 9, after the Feast of the Tabernacle, um, following the festival, they gathered together. And all of a the sudden, there was this overwhelming adoption of repentance that came over them. 
They were not distracted by their victory. They were not distracted by that feast, but this repentance began to come on them. We have to boldly repent. We have to boldly declare this is um, the time where I literally turn around and do a complete 180 against the thing that I have been in agreement with. And so they called the fast there and they moved through um, Nehemiah chapter 9 and, and a lot of the verses they move through and they talk about the history of Israel and they highlight God's faithfulness even though it, the Israelites were people that regularly rebelled. Sometimes we get distracted by our own rebellion. Sometimes we get distracted by the things that we're not. It's another trick of the enemy. If he can get you to focus on what you're not, then you'll never focus on who God is. You'll never focus on what God can accomplish. Why? Because you're so busy getting down on yourself. But they went out of feasting into a time of repentance, into a time of fasting, and declaring God's faithfulness. Do not be those who enter this fast and focus on yourself. This is about God, who he is, and you getting greater revelation of who he is and what he has called you to. This is the fast to which he has called. And so we have to step out there with boldness. The third one is surprise. So we're talking about the components of maneuver warfare. If you really are going to engage in maneuver warfare, you have to have this element of surprise. Um, if you look in verse 5 through 9, Jehoshaphat begins to declare. He begins to declare the things that God has done in the past and the way that he has moved. And then his response is not a response that was expected. A lot of times we're fighting with the same tools from the last battle. And he could have because he's been through a lot of battles. So he could have begun to do the same thing that he had done in times past. But in all his experience and all that he knew, he ended it by saying, I don't know what to do. And he introduced this idea of surprise. The problem is we've been fighting the way that the enemy has expected us to fight all of this time. He knows that if he does this to you, then you're going to do this. He knows that if he rips somebody away from you or hurts your feeling, you'll go into isolation. And he does it over and over and over and over and over again. He knows that if he can allow somebody not to speak to you, that you'll become disgruntled with the church. And he does it over and over and over and over and over again. He knows that if he can get somebody to overlook you and make you feel insignificant, that you'll retreat. And he does it over and over and over and over and over again. And he just begins to wreck you with the same thing. But during this corporate fast, it's time for us to do maneuver warfare. You have to surprise the enemy with what your response is. You have to surprise the enemy with your, your responses. So I know you've been a quitter in the past, but you gotta surprise him and not quit this time. I know you've been a complainer in the past, but you gotta surprise him and not complain this time. I know that you've been a slacker in the past, but you gotta surprise him and not slack this time. I know you've been one who does your own thing before, but you gotta surprise him and really get an alignment this time. I know you're the one who's doubted yourself and believed that you weren't who God called you to be, but you gotta surprise him and actually believe it this time. I know that you've been the one who's come again the things that are coming against the body of Christ, but you got to surprise him and you got to fight on his side this time. There's an element of surprise that we have an advantage because we have Holy Spirit. And so anytime that the enemy thinks that he's got the church right where he wants it, we as the body have to say, oh, 
surprise, oh, surprise, oh, surprise. You thought we were going to have low attendance at prayer and we were going to cancel prayer? Oh, surprise, oh, surprise. You thought you were going to give us unexpected uh, building problems and we were going to back down from building? Oh, surprise, oh, surprise. You thought that we were going to stop doing deliverance because it didn't work on several people and they started talking against it? Oh, surprise, oh, surprise. You got to make sure that your strategy is not in alignment with hell. You got to surprise the enemy. When we look at corporate fast in the body, we like to tell the story of Jonah swallowed up in the belly of the whale. But when you think about the Ninevites, the Ninevites were a people who were out of alignment and a judgment was declared against the Ninevites. And so Jonah came and he declared this judgment against the Ninevites. And after that judgment was declared against the Ninevites, the Ninevites had a decision to make. And the Ninevites, they actually believed the judgment, but they said in response to the judgment, we're going to do a what surprise. And so instead of beginning to cry about the judgment that was placed against us. Instead of being upset about the judgment that was placed against us, instead of fighting with words on the judgment that was placed against us, the Ninevites decided we're going to call a fast. We're going to call a fast. We're going to call a fast. And they put ashes on themselves. And it wasn't ashes so they could boast that they were fasting, but ashes were a sign that they were a dead people. Ashes were a sign that they were a dead people. Dead to their flesh. Dead to their desires. Dead to what they wanted, get to where they were going, but they decided we're going to fast. And so the Ninevites, as they fasted, they made a decision that after they declared they were a dead people, in response to being a dead people, there were results on the other side of that. And so not only was that judgment not coming into fruition, but God literally reversed the judgment. He reversed the judgment. He reversed the judgment. We've been believing the report of the enemy for so long that we think we have no choice in it. We've been living underneath what God has for us. There's a report and there's a consequence that comes when you are outside of the will of God. And the judgment can come from God, but it can come from the enemy. Even when the judgment comes from God, God is gracious. God is faithful. God is one that is a hearer of the cries of his people. I do believe that the judgment that has been on our city and the judgment that has been on the body of Christ, some of those judgments have been of God. But God is looking for somebody who will stand in the gap and cry aloud and spare not. He is looking for a people that would say, God, even though this is the judgment that you have placed, even though this is the judgment that you have declared, we will humble ourselves and not become antagonistic and not become upset with you, but we will further humble ourselves and we will fast. We will kill our flesh in response to it. And surprise, he met them and reversed it. Decentralized decision-making. This is one of the components of maneuver warfare. It's time out for the monopoly of power in the body of Christ. 
We've let all the power go to our pastors. We've let all the power go to the apostles. We let all the power go to the leaders of the church. When it's time for a breakthrough, there are only certain plans that can be made in the secret place. And so the, um, the generals, they send the, out the armies and there's a plan that they made together. But when you get to that critical point of breakthrough, you have to have people on the ground who can make a decision in that moment. They call that decentralization of power. People are scared of this because they say, well, what's going to happen if, if, we don't all, if we don't all listen to pastor? You don't have to be worried about that. Follow me as I follow Christ. And if you're in the secret place just as much as I'm in the secret place, and if you pray just as much as I pray, and if you study just as much as I study, then what you'll find is before you know it, we're on the same page and we don't even know it. You start to pray prayer points that you didn't even know were written on the list for that day. You begin to worship and sing songs and God drops songs in your, in your soul and your heart. And before you know it, the worship team is up here singing it. And there becomes this synchrony where it means we don't have to worry about the misalignment because we're actually listening to the same God. There's been a monopoly of power in the body of Christ and it's come from the stage. And I'm not saying that leaders have imposed it on people, but the people have submitted to that lack of power. They've decided that they don't want to pray themselves through. They want somebody else to do it. They've decided they don't want to speak into their own lives. They want somebody else to do it. They've decided they don't want to study or pray for themselves. They want somebody else to do it. But there's coming a decentralization of power. Do you know that the entire body can be powerful? Do you know that you can prophesy? You can preach the word of the Lord. You can lay hands on the sick and they actually recover. This corporate fast is bringing us into that posture. So that we have a body full of people with holy hands. So that we have a body full of people with clean hearts. You think that the impact that the church is supposed to make on the world can come from two 14 people in each church? Heavens no. If we don't all impact those that are around us and the sphere around us, we will be limited in power. And so there's this decentralization. We see that in verse 13 where he puts the weight and responsibility on everybody to win. He didn't say, bring me the elders. He didn't say, bring me the tribe leaders or the leaders of each household. Children are very minimally mentioned when it comes to strategy, war, um, counting people, different things like that in Bible stories. But they're very specifically are mentioned here. And it's to say that I'm putting my hand on every piece of this corporate body. Those of you who are parents, it's time for your children to fast. This is the corporate fast to which God has called us to. He didn't exclude the children. You can't say that they don't have the junior Holy Spirit but never call them to a life of consecration. 
what you're teaching them is it's okay for them to play and operate in the gifts and they don't have to have a consecrated lifestyle. Because you're putting them up to sing, you're letting them pray for dinner, you're letting them pray for grandma, you're letting them practice prophesying, you're letting them do all this stuff, but you're not teaching them how to be consecrated. With the decentralization of power, that means that everybody fasts. There are fasts that he's called. He said, come on to the nursing babes and the nursing mothers. So there are all rules when you are nursing. They do not include that you have to have flour, meat, sugar, dairy. None of that's required. If you are a nursing mother, you have to have fruits and vegetables. And your baby gonna be all right. And what you'll find is your milk gonna be milkier than milky. Try it. Because we see ourselves and we excuse ourselves because of different reasons. And we're like, oh, I got this going on with my body. Okay, and what exactly did your doctor have against fruits and vegetables? Well, your doctor said you have to have sugar? I don't think so. But it is for everybody. Verse 13, he puts the weight and responsibility to win on everyone's individual agreement to align with the strategy. He assembled all the people to fast. The last one is combined arms. So when armies are planning this attack, they start to link up with other allies and they start to increase and grow their body. And then they start to employ different tactics together. This is where worship and prayer comes in. It's a combined attack. If all you do is follow the diet plan, you'll be weak. You won't have anything to fill in those spaces with. You got to put yourself on a schedule and actually commit to it. That means breakfast is your dose of prayer, devotion one for the day. That means snack is a reminder of your first devotion that day. That means lunch is maybe a second devotion that day. Or maybe now you're finishing reading the scripture. That means that for dinner, you actually are rehearsing the word. And so, you know, you have the five food groups or the five, you know, the pretty plate, the healthy plate, and you got all the little sections. One of those sections has to be your devotion unto the Lord. So it's not just changing your diet. You have to actually add something to the diet. So now you have to feast on the word. If anything, this should take your word life through the roof. This should take your, fat, your praying life through the roof. This should take your worship life through the roof. So prayer, worship, and reading of the word have to become part of your daily schedule. Schedule it. Do not eat before actually engaging in these things. There are different types of breakthrough. If you received a breakthrough prayer card... I want you to, and you don't have to, but part of receiving breakthrough, we got to know what we're receiving breakthrough from. It might be a, a, a physical breakthrough, an emotional breakthrough, a mental breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough, revelation, you know, maybe you need revelation. But I want you to take the time and go ahead and fill that out. If you've already filled it out, that's great. If you don't want to fill one out because you can't think of anything right now, that's okay. Because I don't want you to just haphazardly write something just because you feel religious and in this moment that people are going to stare at you that you don't put something on the altar. Who cares? 
If you don't actually have anything, don't write anything. And as you begin the fast, different things will come, and you'll know what you need breakthrough from, and it won't be too late. You can still bring your prayer card. That's okay. But if you already know, and you're writing it down, I want you to come and place them on the altar. Strategy does not mean that we go in blindly or ignorantly. If you know that there is an enemy on your personal back, and part of you being involved in this corporate fast is personal breakthrough for you in an area of your life, we want to pray with you and stand in agreement with you. There is a power in the unifying of the body of Christ. Entire bodies, entire movements have been stagnant because they can't seem to get on the same page. And I'm not talking about stuff that you have opinions on. It's time for us to win for the kingdom. We have a fasting calendar. We will be refraining from food. And you can additionally refrain from anything you'd like, additionally. We are all refraining from food. Your kids do not have to have fruit snacks. They do not have to have ice cream. They do not have to have soda. They don't even have to have juice. And if they throw a fit or a tantrum, cast it out. You want kids of power? We need consecrated kids. You've been having issues where your kids don't follow directions? Cast it out. Because somehow some door has been opened for them to partner with hell against the family unit. And it's your responsibility to cast it out and to raise them up. We use that scripture against our kids. Talking about train up a child and the way they should go. Yeah, train them. Teach them. Discipline is more than do what I say. Is do what God is saying. Listen to what God is saying. Learn to hear God. So you have the guidelines. We can take away, but we cannot add. We are not mixing and matching days. It's not multiple choice. Oh, yes, I do six to six. That's not a thing here. That's called I forgot my lunch at home. We are not fasting from sunrise to sundown. Oh, well, I've always done it like that. You're in a new body now. I've had great success on fast before. Be careful of stepping outside of the will of God because of previous success. Because, see, it makes you feel justified, but you just robbed yourself of your inheritance. We're going to fast together so that we win together. We have paper calendars available. If you, are, if you do best with paper, and you're like, I don't know about this app, I don't know about this email, that's fine. We have some paper copies available. However, the fast will be, um, the guidelines will be uploaded to the app. So if you have the church app, you can always have it on there. That way you don't forget the paper at home or something like that. If you're on our email list, it was emailed to you last week in preparation so you could go shopping. Um, if you're not on our email list, that means that somehow we have your email wrong. We'll be updating those. So um, some of our executive team will be giving you a call just to make sure that all your demographics are correct. We want to be able to communicate with you. Are y'all ready for breakthrough? Yeah.
All right. 